0: Good evening, good afternoon, good morning. See what I did there? I reversed it up from the normal. Welcome that... again to... Uh... <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have to say before you continue, that really confused me for a moment actually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it just, just make people just go, what, what am I listening to? You're listening to two developers down under... uh, I'll go back in reverse, my partner in crime, Kai Koenig, and myself, Mark Mandel. Uh, Today is yet another day where we provide you with some hopefully interesting conversation and uh, discuss about some of the topics of the day. How are you doing today, Kai? I'm doing very fine. How are you, Mark? I'm very, very well. Cool. Very, very well, indeed. Um...
1: So it's, again, a very, very early hour for you, um, not that much for me. And I have to admit, I was seven minutes late, mainly because um, my wife forced me out to check on the chickens, and then I had to make coffee, because obviously I can't do a podcast recording without a coffee next to me. Hold on, wait. So you have
0: chickens? Yeah, we have two chickens. Of course you do. That that makes perfect sense. Who doesn't have chickens? Why do,
1: I, do I Do I get some sarcastic undertone from that?
0: <laughs> Just, fair enough. I, I don't know very many people who have chickens.
1: Um. Yeah. Well, basically, I mean, where we live is it's not a rural area; it's a city area, but it's in the outskirts of that street, basically, and right behind our property is the property of um one of our neighbours and a friend of us, and he's got a bit of a lifestyle farm, so he's got like a sheep, um, four chickens, a pig a few ducks, and a few other bits and pieces in terms of animals, basically. Of course. <laughs> and, then, um, and then he's got a it's a huge property. I mean, seriously, massive. And um,
0: so we basically took over two of his
1: originally six chickens, and now he's got four and we've got two.
0: Right. So you, you took the chicken over,
1: Yeah, and I mean, uh, to be fair, I can see them... From my office when I'm you know while I'm working, so it's actually quite entertaining to you know look out and see the chickens roaming in that in their enclosure basically.
0: Do you go out and do they come? Do they greet you? Are they kind of like. Oh, well, we've
1: we've just got them for about a week now. Oh, okay. Um, so not really yet. I mean, pretty much I've got a huge fenced area and they've got a house, and I we're we're sort of waiting for them to lay again because you uh, what apparently happens when you um. You know, when you separate a group of chickens or when you move them, they might or might not stop laying for a while, and that happened at least two hours basically. They, okay. they stopped <laughs> laying; they you know don't produce any eggs anymore.
0: You've got depressed
1: chickens. Maybe, maybe yeah, I don't know. Maybe depressed chickens. Okay, fair
0: enough. So, what interesting, exciting stuff happened today? I've got a, I've got a few things, but why don't you? Why don't um, you? Uh,
1: should I? Uh, well, the one thing I found interesting, particularly because. Um, you know, it is tied into something that happened just a few days ago. Um, so, if everyone remembers, there was a royal wedding. Um, really? I missed that totally. Yeah. I,
0: don't, I'm gonna, I don't know how many missed that. To be honest, I, tr-
1: I tried hard to ignore it, basically, but <laughs> it was just, like, impossible. So, apparently, the estimation for the amount of people who watched this current royal wedding is about 3 billion people, which yep. is, when you think about That's it, totally big. bizarre. So, funny enough, um, today... Uh, 51 years ago more than 20 million viewers 20 million it's a funny tiny number compared to the the recent wedding watched the first televised royal wedding when Princess Margaret married Anthony Armstrong Jones at Westminster Abbey and to give you a third figure the wedding of Charles and uh, Diana was apparently watched by, by about 750 million people so it's 20 million in 1960 Uh, 750 million in whatever the early 80s whatever it was and 3 billion people last week that's really
0: big (laughs) that's a big number yeah fair enough so what else happened I got heaps of stuff today is the 50th birthday of George Clooney
1: oh congratulations uh
0: George Congratulations, George. I'm sure he's listening. Yep. Uh, today, the, uh, the Channel Tunnel was opened uh, underneath the London Tunnel. It's the 17th anniversary of that. Uh, Joseph Stalin becomes the premier, premier of the Soviet Union. 70th anniversary of that. The 74th anniversary of the Heidenberg disaster, which is why we uh, build blimps the way we do now. Uh, King George V ascends the British throne in 1910. It's the 101st anniversary. The Eiffel Tower was officially opened today on the 122nd anniversary in 1889. Hmm. See, uh, the,
1: the Hindenburg disaster, that's actually really sad because I think yeah. um, the concept of seppelins is really something worthwhile to investigate from my point of view. You know, if it, it's a shame that that industry basically was basically totally stopped after that, that accident
0: happened. That is true. But, yes, things burning sticking into flames tend to uh Yeah, you know,
1: but there are, I'm pretty sure nowadays there are technologies to, um, you know, make it work oh, yeah. in a different way and make it work better.
0: I think they use helium now, which isn't flammable. Yeah. Yeah, which is the right one. Make sure I get my, my chemicals right. Uh, today's also the 58th anniversary of Tony Blair. So it's, he's 50, 58 today. Uh, Sigmund Freud, if he was still alive, would be 155 today.
1: What is Tony Blair doing nowadays? Not Probably that in very any, little. <laughs> any relevance, really? But
0: I don't know. Probably becoming a motivational speaker and rolling around in piles of money. Yeah, that might be. There you go. There's, there's a there's a job for our new our listeners. If you can find out what Tony Blair is doing, put it in our comments. We'd greatly appreciate it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that would actually really enhance the value of everything we're doing.
0: I think so. I think so. Anything to ensure that we get more comments in our blog because, you know, those are always good and make our day. Yep, exactly. Okay, so we get into some more technical content, shall we?
1: Yes, we can do that. Um, I think the big news this week from an Adobe point of view is probably that Creative Suite 5.5 was shipped and Flash, uh, Flash Builder 4.5 and Flex yep. 4.5 were shipped. And with that, um, Cold Fusion Builder 2 was shipped as well.
0: Yep, and I'm sure everyone here wants to hear us talk about uh, Creative Suite
1: 5.5. Yeah, I can, you know, introduce you to a few of the changes if you like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have no idea, actually. I seriously I could, but so it's, I think about. it's not really that the most,
1: most interesting topic for our audience. I think. <laughs> probably I assume. not. I have the feeling called Fusion Builder 2 um, as some sort of the core topic for, you know, the next few minutes that would be probably more relevant
0: that's fair enough. So yeah, Call Fusion Builder two is probably the uh, the big news for us. Uh, I, I assume you've been using it since the beta. It's yeah, totally.
1: So I mean, now it's obviously much much yeah. easier to talk about that stuff, right? So yeah. I'm using Call Fusion Builder. Oh, I was using Call Fusion Builder two probably for the last six months or so, and yeah. I love it. And it's you know it's so nice. And I'm not saying this because I'm an Adobe fanboy as such. You know, but Call Fusion Builder two is really it contains so many things. That make your life easier in, when you're coding ColdFusion code, but it's yep. just what it is, right? It's, and I, I know that you have some sort of the same opinion on that, basically.
0: But I'll, I'll throw the curveball. What do you think of the new Find and Replace in ColdFusion
1: Fusion? Pages? Yeah, I think. I th- see, it's it's something it's something to get used to. the the whole ser- The whole new search dialogue um, was, I think, personally, remodeled because they wanted to make the experience a bit easier for people coming over from Dreamweaver or people who were coming over from, you know, back Homestead, in the day Homestead maybe. Plus, yeah. right? Yeah. Or Cold Fusion Studio even worse, if you, you know. So it's it's very similar to what guys from those coming from those technologies are used to. If you used Eclipse or CF Eclipse before, it will be a bit different, right?
0: Yeah.
1: How it works. I mean there are a few really good things in it from my point of view. I mean I like the way how um, you know it it finds multiple occurrences in one file, and you can right away jump to those occurrences. And that's po- obviously partly you know coming from Eclipse. And yeah. I personally have to say I don't find the new search dialog as bad as other people do. I know there are a few people were really enraged about that and said like, oh my god, that's you know why don't you do the just the Eclipse search dialog as everyone yeah. would be used would would you know would know. And I have to say, well, you know, it would be nice if it was configurable, saying I, you know, I want to use the classic Eclipse search dialog mechanism, mm. maybe a bit tailored towards Code Fusion, or I want to have a more Dreamweaver, HomeSite Plus style experience. But to be fair, it's not a deal breaker for me, not at all. I, no, I, 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 I agree
0: with the deal breaker, but it does. It's probably one of the only things that irritates me about it. Um, I find. There's, there's a few things I like about it. Like, I like the multiple line search replace. Okay. Um, if anyone used Homesite, that was one of the things I really appreciated about Homesite, being able to take one line split into two very easily without having to use regexes and stuff. Um, though I'm very used to doing that now with a regex search replace in, in Eclipse without any problem. Um, I find there's a couple of small things that slow me down. Um... Very used to doing like a search and replace in a page, just being able to. I've got all the shortcuts down for it. So if I go, you know, Control F search stuff, especially I'm removing stuff, and then go Alt A to just hit all, it would just do it straight away. Mm -hmm. Whereas now you get the preview pop up, which drives me a little crazy. Ah, okay, yeah. Um, and I got to wait for that to load up, and then I got to get through the next thing, rather than it being an instantaneous thing. there, I find that being able to do find and replace quickly across multiple lines works, but you have to like, click replace. You can't just do replace all across a line set, yep. um, which I do a bit of stuff of. It's not the end of the world. Um, I mean, push comes to shove when I want to use uh, probably more regex, find and replace stuff. What I normally do is I just create an untitled text file, copy paste what I want to work, put it in there, do it in there, and then copy paste it back, uh, Okay, which works yeah. fine. Um, That's pretty enough. <laughs>
1: And I mean, realistically, there are a whole bunch of other editors where you can, you know, just copy and paste something into another editor, which might be more powerful for the specific use you you have for search and replace, right? I know people who, yeah. you know, use whatever TextMate or TextWrangler on a Mac to do their search and replace because it's extremely powerful. To be fair, for that type of stuff, and then they just copy it back in whatever IDE they work with.
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, there's only that that kind of it irks me a little. I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan. But uh, other than that, I mean, look, it's pretty pretty neat stuff. I, the um, code completion for me is probably the number th- number one thing. So being yeah, able to complete tags exactly. and complete variables, especially variables, that's the big thing, and that's that's definitely got a facelift, um, which makes things good for me, um, especially when you're doing a lot of CFC heavy stuff. Um, the CFC resolution I think is still a little bit iffy, especially if you've got strange directory paths and whatnot.
1: Yeah, you need to have your mappings right to make the the CFC resolution really work. And I have to agree, that is sometimes a bit tricky to get set up. But I'm pretty sure that, um, you know, people will... Someone will come up with a tutorial how to do that properly, and you know, explain it basically.
0: Yeah, what I'd what I'd like to see, which I think would be awesome, is being able to say within your project, okay, where's because Builder sort of assumes that your the root of your project is your web root, which yeah. isn't necessarily always the case. Um, so what I think would be what I think would be really awesome is you have your project, and then within your Cold project, you say, okay, this directory is you know my web root. This directory is mapped to here. This directory is mapped to here. This directory is mapped to here. And then you can have everything under the the one thing and it can resolve all your Fusion components by that. You can kind of do it with linked folders um, now, but sometimes that doesn't necessarily work depending on your folder structure and how you do things, um, which can make things a bit sort of frustrating. Um,
1: Have you you actually ever used things like the FTP integration into Fusion Builder? Yeah, me neither. It's quite funny. It seems that... But this is a big thing for a lot of people, right? They want to have FTP yeah. support and you know And RDS and stuff, an RDS support built into their IDE. And I'm thinking yes. like, well, I can I can sort of see where they're coming from. You know, like if you have a single development server somewhere or a single production server. To be fair, a lot of the people you know just upload something to it, and that's how they work with Confusion. It's you know not really what I would encourage, but it's just the no. reality basically, right? Yeah. So you know those tools like FTP and stuff like that end up in the IDE, and I think like really, I mean, hmm, it would be nice if we could you know push some sort of a proper deployment process by not having that in <laughs> by not having that integrated into IDEs. But you know, yep. there's nothing you can do really.
0: Nah, no. I look. I think the only things I end up using IDEs for is maybe a data view. I use the data view sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I think mine's broken. I think mine's been broken for ages for some very odd reason. I can't think of what it is. But um Yeah, I think it's yeah, that's that's pretty much all I use IDS for. FTP, I've never even opened. I don't even looked at the view. Um yeah, if I'm if I'm pushing stuff up to production or a staging or a dev server or whatever, then you know I'm using it. Mean, that's just that's just the way I work. So you
1: know what I think? Actually we should maybe try to get um one of the guys from the ColFusion Builder team to come on the podcast, maybe Herman, and talk That'd a bit cool. about you know the ColFusion Builder two release. That'd
0: be cool. We should totally do that. Yeah. That's a good idea. So,
1: guys, if you're listening to that up in India, you know, yeah, you're very invited to join us for a session to talk about ColFusion Builder two. I'm probably going to send an email to Herman after that, after this <laughs> recording, saying, hey, you want to listen to number seven? And then you want to pick a date when you want to come on the podcast. <laughs> it's just <laughs> you can like get one slightly, <laughs> slightly forcing, <laughs> forcing it upon them. <laughs> so I think the other big news about ColdFusion Builder 2 is the Express Edition, right?
0: Yeah, that's very cool.
1: So what that's is the Express Edition, Mark?
0: So when you first install Cold Fusion Builder, you get 60 days of trial, which I think is actually a really long time. Um, It is
1: unusually long for a commercial software.
0: Yeah, so you get 60 days to try it out. You get full access to all the uh, features of Coffee Vision Builder, which I think is pretty cool. Um, And then from there, what happens is is rather than it just simply turning off, it goes into what what it refers to as an express edition. So you still get a lot of the features of 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 the IDE, but you don't get all of them. So you still have sort of a free version of CF Builder. So, that's
1: really cool, isn't
0: it? I think it is really cool. I think it's uh it's a nice way of um, you know, if you're looking for I don't know if lightweight's the right word, but you're looking for another another CFML editor, you know, you might have CF for clips as well, obviously. That's that's a common free option there as well. But you know, you can try them both out. I mean there's no reason why you can't say, Okay, you know what, maybe I don't want to pay for this or pay for this right now. Um, let's give it a crack, and then I can turn around and go, okay, you know what, maybe the code assist suits your styling better bit versus what's in CF Eclipse or exactly. you know, and vice I mean, versa. This, it's options.
1: This is totally not about bashing CF Eclipse. You know, CF Eclipse no. is a very, very good IDE. I'm, but that's exactly what you said. There are options now, basically. If you don't want to yep. pay for an IDE, you now have two options to go with, and that is always a good thing from my yep. point of
0: view. So I'm looking at a blog post now by... Somebody whose name I can't find. Um, no, I really can't. Okay. Which blog post are you talking about? Marcus? I'm looking at fusiongrocker.com. Uh, okay. uh, here we go. I'm looking at it for friend about, so I can I can t- say Adam Tuttle, of course. Um, he, has a, he has a very good good blog post about uh, exactly what's actually in. The Eclipse, uh, the uh, sorry, the CF Builder Express edition, mm-hmm. um, and it looks like it's pretty good. I mean, it's, it's got a lot of the stuff that I'd probably end up using a lot of the time. Uh, it's got all the code assist features, um, though. It, apparently, it doesn't do as much assistance as what the full version does. For example, uh, there's particular stuff that'll look for if you've got a query variable. So you're doing a CF loop, yep. and you're doing it over a query. It'll know. It'll go. Okay, well, I'll just go look for variables that I know are queries. Just shows, show those two first. So apparently, that, that aspect's gone. But other than that, the uh, code completion is there. You can use extensions, but apparently, they can't use any of the code assist or callback functions. Which um,
1: basically means it's sort of back to basic extensions, really, for yeah. the users of CodeFusion Builder Express yep. Edition.
0: Yep. Uh, extensions, so yep, debugging, but you still have the debugging, file preview. ORM support, which I guess means the ORM extensions. Really, uh, tag editor, the server manager, which apparently only works for hosts though.
1: Yeah, I've uh, heard that. I've read that in another in another blog post from yeah, someone yeah. else. Basically, that the remote um, registration of servers wouldn't work in the free edition. Yep, and that's fair enough. Um, I think.
0: I think so. I mean, yeah. You still got snippets, shortcuts, um, tasks. Uh, there's a native file launcher which I've never used. Have you ever used that? Uh, I always create no. projects. <laughs> what, yeah. what, it, what does it do? It's basically you can you can browse your C drive or your slash drive slash home, um, so you can just search for files and open them that way rather than having to create a project and do stuff that way.
1: Ah, okay. Yeah, no, I've used that basically because what yeah. you can do is if you have, let's say, a folder of totally unrelated confusion code that you know isn't in a proper project, you can just go there in the um, in that file view. And then you can say promote to project. And then basically Cold Fusion Builder would automatically create a project for you with all the stuff ah, of that folder. That is really that's really sweet. that's really handy actually.
0: Parti- I've it, it's that. Particular,
1: <laughs> ha- particularly handy for you know people who get into Cold Fusion Builder and into Eclipse completely from scratch. Because you know when you use Dreamweaver home site, you're not used to having to use projects. In Dreamweaver that's you have sites. Fine. Yeah, that's that what I was going to say. Sort of, sort of similar, but you don't have to use it at all, right? It's totally optional, basically. Yeah. And HomeSite, I can't even remember if there was a project concept in HomeSite. I think there was, but it was sort of tremendously badly implemented and never really worked properly. Yeah. Um, but what Eclipse users usually find annoying is that they can't really, you know, double-click a file and edit it without being in a project context, Yeah. And that is basically a way to work around that. You know, you go into your file system, you pick a folder of files, might be some legacy code, and you have no idea, you know, like what an Eclipse project really is and why you want to have it. But you just say, you know, right click, promote a project, done. Basically, you've got your project, everything is set up, and you don't have to worry about anything anymore.
0: Yeah, rather than having to go (laughs) create new projects and then change the workspace directory. Exactly. Yeah. And then. point it in a new spot and do it that way. Yeah, that works. Nothing wrong with that. Um, Yeah, you still have the RDS capabilities, which is good too. I um,
1: think RDS is... Isn't RDS sort of limited as well? But, um, might be no, wrong I'm reading
0: RDS file view, RDS database browsing, but I assume if you've only got service support for localhost, your RDS is only going to work for localhost. Yeah, host. that
1: might actually be the case, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and then apparently you also have the services browser, which again, I've never really used. Um... It shows information on all the CFCs that your local server knows about. Ah,
1: very yeah, that is, I think, again, a concept that took over from Dreamweaver because Dreamweaver used to have that for for ages, basically. And yeah. Flash Builder has something similar, where you can basically say, you know, I want to hook up to uh, a set of CFCs or a web ser- web service or something like that. Yeah. Then I get like a you know a method browser and operations browser, and I can in- introspect the stuff I hook my Flex application into, for example.
0: But um, yeah, so a fair chunk of, of good features there.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's, you know, amazing, really, because it came as a surprise for pretty much everyone, really.
0: You yeah, no no idea that was coming.
1: All of a sudden it was like, oh, and by the way, we've got an Express Edition and it can do <laughs> a lot of stuff for free. It's like, oh, cool.
0: That's good. Do you use the, um, I was this conversation with someone the other day. You know at the bottom they've got like the Firefox and IE tabs? Oh, I don't use that stuff. Yeah, I don't use that either.
1: Because what i found is it tremendously slows down my Eclipse when I use that often. You know, for for one-off, it's fine. But if you use it all the time, um, it doesn't really... First of all, it doesn't suit my development style. Yeah. And um, because I have a browser open and I use Firebark and all sorts of stuff, right? And um, second of all, when I tried to use it, it was really not performing that well. And then I thought, yeah, you know, I don't really bother that much with
0: it. That was sort of my... Yeah, I think nine times out of ten, you know, I'm editing, like, a CFM file that's three levels abstracted from the view. And, like, there's no way the builder's going to find it unless I start setting up particular URLs to look at. Yeah,
1: that is one problem. You know, if you do a lot of back-end code, and particularly within a framework even, it would be probably tricky to run that, right? If you you think of a... Mm. Think of a front controller framework where you have your your index CFM entry point or something like that. That would be hard if I'm adding if I'm editing some of the files used in that process. It'd probably be tricky to to render in that in one of those tabs. Yep. Um, but even you know, even if you work more on the view layer, let's say you do like an HTML view with a bit of jQuery or something like that. I really don't know if I need to run that in, in my coding IDE, to be honest. Yeah. But, the, no, I, you know, people are different, right? So, that's my personal development style. i rather go yeah. into a normal browser. Other people might have a totally different opinion on that.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if it's useful for you, great. Or yeah. to you. Very, very simple. So, um, did you want to talk a bit about FlexBuilder 4.5? I, I don't know very much about that space, but... Uh, um, I know you work in Flex quite regularly.
1: Yeah, I can. I mean, um, I haven't used Flash Builder... It's Flash Builder 4.5. Flash Builder,
0: that's how long... Yeah, that's how much I know about it. Yeah. It's really good, isn't it? <laughs>
1: um, I haven't used 4.5 for a production project yet. Everything I've done so far with Flash Builder 4.5 was like, you know, just experimenting and doing a few little bits and pieces here and there. Yep. Um, mainly... Oh, well, the, the big thing, basically, is... Obviously, mobile and multi-screen support, yeah, in Flex or in Flash Builder. So there are a whole bunch of new project types um, that support stuff like um, mobile projects for Air. You know that you can deploy things on Android on the um, BlackBerry. Uh, what is it called? Playbook and um, also iOS. I think iOS is not yet in there, and they will release um, an. an an add-on for flash builder 4.5 in june or something like that but you know it's basically supports mobile development now um officially and it got it got it got templates so you can say i want to have a a tapped application for android or something like that basically okay so that is is that
0: like is that like um either templates that you have sort of either in java in the in the Java editor or say like jQuery live templates is that is that sort of along those sort of lines
1: I think it's um it's basically a visual template
0: uh, okay, it's more that sort of template yeah
1: and you know in the in the process of setting up a project you would basically also you you're able to define permissions like you know what's your application supposed or what what permissions will your application ask for when it's being installed by the user you know stuff like I want to be able to send SMS or I want to use your 3G connection. Well, yeah. I want to do this and that, blah blah blah. So, I mean, that's the m- one of the big main things in Flash Builder 4.5. Obviously, the other thing they um, really improved on is make your coding experience better. And um, funny enough, you know, one of the main new features are what's called code templates. Yeah. And I don't know if you ever had a look into those, or had a look into you know what they are in Flash Builder basically what i think they are and i have to maybe work a bit more with it but from from what i've played with it's basically snippets it's basically what cold fusion users know since i don't know when were they introduced in homesite plus or in homesite or in, even in cold fusion studio and then see if Cf- mm. eclipse had the snippets cold fusion builder has the snippets so finally they have made their way into flash builder 4.5
0: it's interesting. Do you know if they're using the same engine or are they using no, the di- template it's a, system?
1: It's a different thing, basically. They use the, the they use um, I think the template system from Eclipse. Eclipse. And yeah. to be fair, the, the the templates in Flash Builder four point five are more powerful yeah, than snippets be. are, right? Yeah. So you've got way more um Options to configure your code templates. You know, you can basically refer to the enclosing type of your function yep. and all yeah. that yeah. stuff. You know, it's it's more powerful. But at the end of the day, it's a very sophisticated way to say, you know, I want to just use my snippets for let's say an I don't know an event body. You know, whenever I write an event class, that's the body, and you know, put in a few variables that you can easily yeah. um, automatically pick up in which context your event is used, what your classes and it pretty much creates most of the event class for you. So that is a really, really, really nice feature from my point of view.
0: I'd like to see that sort of thing come to call Fusion Builder. Snippets is not bad per se, but if anyone's used like IntelliJ Live Templates or yeah. the Java Template System for, in Eclipse, it's just, it's so much better.
1: It is. the. I think the problem is, is really that to have... Those type of templating options, like in Java or in in Flex now, you probably need to, I don't know, have a bit of a different language structure, right? Keep in mind that Java and Flex are typed languages, so that makes it a bit easier. I wonder if it's really that easy to achieve in CFML.
0: Well, IntelliJ did it in their CFML plugin and it was really, really nice. Their live template system was really good for CFML because it really just boils down to like you can do things which are really nice. Um, I haven't done the one in Java for a really long time, but the IntelliJ live template system blows everything out of the water because you can just say, you know, insert the class name here and then at this point, give me a dropdown exactly like you would normally. Pretty much, it's just like give me code completion here, okay. and give me code completion here, and give me code. You know, so just use the underlying engine to just say, okay, just give me code completion as I want. So rather than having to set up all your own variables like you would do in in um, in snippets, you just say, nah, engine. You know, whatever you've got underneath you, just just give me code completion. Um, you know, give me current date. Give me. You know, you can loop. You can do all sorts of fun stuff that's really quite crazy, um, and it's just. It's so much easier. You can tell, you know, in life templates, you can do things like, I want you to camel case, you know, this variable and then put it here, 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 and there. And, you know, it's pretty it's pretty nice. You can, rather than having the pop-up, you can actually see the code and you get those little boxes around where the areas go and stuff. It's it's pretty neat. So you can write in one box and you'll see it all show up in 13 different places and then you could okay. you know, transform it. You know, you might write it one way as the variable name and then you might change the case of it. You want to be like, I want to copy, you know, like bind it. You can say, you know, like, if you're like, oh, this is my variable name is this, so my getter and setter, I want it to be start with an uppercase and then continue all the way through. It's got all those functions available for you. So it's, it's hugely powerful stuff, and it makes life really, really simple. Um, I'm just thinking of some examples. That yeah.
1: So some while you're looking out. for examples or whatever you're doing at the moment, um, <laughs> the last big thing in Flash Builder 4.5 is basically that they've worked on that whole designer-developer workflow, Contact oh, yeah. again, so I mean, I don't know if, if you or any of the listeners remember, basically in CS5 and Flash Builder 4, they introduced Flash Catalyst, which is sort of a a tool yep. sit, sitting in between a design tool and the Flex developer, right? And the yep. idea is that usually, or well, quite often, in in you know those processes to create rich applications, you've got like your visual designers and they use stuff like Photoshop and Illustrator, yada yada yada. And you've got your Flex coder, right? And the normal process is: designer does something, they throw a Photoshop document, maybe it's you know layered at least to the Flex developer. Flex developer builds something. Business wants lots of changes. Flex developer has to throw away all their custom components because you know they have yep. to be reskinned, they have to be you know redone. You need to get new artwork from the visual designer, and et cetera, et cetera. So that makes it obviously a bit really tedious sometimes to build those complex. Heavily skinned and customized applications. So what they what Adobe thought is basically we build a tool which allows an interaction designer to sit in the middle and basically build a lot of you know simple interactions. You know, th- yep. basically prototype an app from that's one one objective of Flash Catalyst. And the other objective is um, to cr- to basically create UI components implicitly. Because the visual designer creates his Photoshop artwork. It's imported in Flash Catalyst. And I can take any of the the assets in the Photoshop layer document and say, this is a button. And then behind the scenes, Catalyst basically creates Flex code, or actually a Flex project. And that Flex project can be shipped off to the Flex developer. And what that person will get is already a button component that is skinned in the way the visual designer wanted it to be skinned. Pretty nice. The problem with that workflow was, though, that it was one way between Flash Catalyst and the Flex end or the Flash Builder end, right? So mm. when the, the when the um, the interaction designer could do a round trip to some degree with the visual designer, and you know, like edit something in Catalyst by clicking on it and say edit in Photoshop and then make a few tweaks and it still stays in Catalyst, mm. but there was no way of going back from the Flex project or in Flash Builder to Catalyst or to the designer without starting that whole process from scratch. And the big improvement is that basically both those sub-processes between Visual Interaction Design and mm-hmm. Interaction Design and Flex Developer are round trip now. That's very nice. And that is really, really nice. And that's a big, big, big difference um, over what we used to have in, you know, Creative Suite 5 and Flash Builder 4 and Catalyst 1 and now we've got basically the five releases of all those, and they are really, really much, much better for, for that type of round-tripping between different roles in your in your team.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So from that cool.
1: point of view, you know, like, um, a lot of people, I don't want to say complained, but we're some sort of wondering why Adobe is charging for a five release, right? And, um, you know, the... the usual stuff came up, like, oh, you know, Adobe's charging through the nose, it's always so expensive, yada, yada, yada. So, from my point of view, I you know, certainly those people have a, so, a bit of a point, at least, right? Because, obviously, a .5 release, it's quite unusual to charge for that, right? To make it a, basically, you know, commercial mm. thing. Um, on the other hand, to be fair, you get so much new functionality, and, I mean, really new functionality... Um, that i find it totally justified to charge for the upgrade from cs5 to cs5.5 and to be fair the upgrade itself is reasonably priced totally you know it, it's a few hundred dollars basically but depending
0: the, on where you live <laughs>
1: well yeah we we come to that in a few in a few minutes yeah. basically. depending on where you live that's totally right but you know in general the concept of charging for that upgrade is from my point of view, reasonable because let's say it's a few hundred dollars, right? And let's assume further, you're not a hobby user. You're actually making money with that stuff. That is true. You know, like if, if those new features help you to make your work easier and faster and more efficient,
0: yeah, then I agree. it should
1: completely. be a no-brainer, you know, to spend yeah. like five hundred dollars for an upgrade because you know you will be yeah. able to recoup that by saving five or six hours of your work normally. Exactly. Like no, that I agree like with that
0: completely. It's I don't think um, I think for coffee. I mean, ColdFusion coffee builder for the, for US people it's about a hundred bucks, just not for yeah. an upgrade. Yeah, it's not anything too crazy.
1: Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, you know, I think in general the upgrades are totally worth it from my point of view same with you know flash builder 4 to 4.5 It Mm. gives you so much more functionality in that mobile space in particular if you want to build you know flash apps for mobile or flex apps for mobile in the the near future then it's really a must-have to be honest
0: should we go on to the fact that uh Australian and New Zealand customers get screwed?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think... Yeah, we should. I mean, (laughs) to be fair, I think it's not only Australian and New Zealand customers. I think it's... Probably not. It's basically anyone who doesn't live in the US or who doesn't get the US dollar pricing. Yeah. That's pretty much what it is, really. So, um, the topic came... I mean, the topic always comes up um, after any release from Adobe, basically. Yeah. And people came up with all sorts of interesting and funny examples of you know how to save money on buying Adobe software if you don't live in the US and there are a few few funny things right I mean to give you an idea I think that discussion came up on CF Aussie just a few days ago basically about ColdFusion Builder 2 and what we found out after a few people looked into the pricing in in the US in um, in Australia and in New Zealand is that there are sort of significant differences really yeah Um, so I think one person said the U.S. pricing for ColdFusion Builder 2 is 299 U.S., right, for a new license.
0: Yeah.
1: That converts with the current exchange rate to 274 Australian dollars. But if you buy in Australia, it's actually 407 Australian dollars. So it's basically... I've got four
0: hundred oh 407 excluding GST.
1: That's excluding GST, basically. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one thing to keep in mind, right? In the US, the pricing is normally without any sales tax. Yeah. In Australia um, and in New Zealand, you always have to look at which pricing it is. Is it the, you know, excluding GST or including GST? So the one we need to compare against is definitely excluding GST because with GST it gets even more expensive. That's true. So the price difference is therefore 133 dollars, which is basically, you know, another 50 percent on ridiculous. what it should be converted yeah. to the current exchange rate. And it's it's really it's really a you know hard situation, right? It's a tough situation because what Adobe obviously needs to do is they can't give their end customers. Always the current exchange rate, right? Because they plan in whatever quarters and half a years and years, and they have. But to the
0: exchange rate for Australia has been a, a, almost a parity or above parity for the US for like oh, just, I think mean six months at least.
1: Yeah, but I mean, well, mm, I don't Do you, think if it, you
0: want to play if you want to play that argument, I mean, it's I don't I don't think I don't, think it, I don't
1: think it would be six months. But I agree, it's a reasonably long time. On the other hand, the Exchange rate of both our countries to the U.S. dollar is unnaturally unnaturally high.
0: I agree, so, but I mean, it, you look at the upgrade for for Creative Suite, right? So they're talking about an upgrade price of five forty nine from going from one to the other. We pay eight hundred and thirty six. Yeah, I mean that's that's a big jump.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: And but, you can't you can't tell me that all of a sudden our dollar is going to drop down to like eighty cents.
1: No, no, I I'm not going to tell you that. All I'm saying is basically, you know, some of that price difference is obviously, you know, explainable by saying, well, you know, they have to plan in the long term and probably at some stage they make pricing decisions reasonably early in the process of building a product or, you know, pushing out a product. And they make an assumption what the exchange rate will be. And then they budget for that, basically. And I think a lot of, or at least a part of that price difference is driven by that. But not all of it, and I totally agree right if if mm. if something is pretty much fifty percent more expensive than the current exchange rate um sh- that according to the current exchange rate it should be, then there is some other element playing into that, and that is obviously um you know a regional pricing to adapt the regional pricing to the market or whatever you know basically say like well, you know Australian that- are small markets. And we can afford to charge more because it, everyone knows it's a small market, so we do.
0: And you know, what's interesting. And, and I, I, <laughs> I think it, that may be a case of we we charge this because we can, and no one's managed to compete with us in this space. So we, you know, we can we can. Um, but I think you'll find that a lot of people just end up going to the U.S. to buy their stuff. I know that definitely happens with co-fusion licenses themselves because of the yep. price disparity between what happens in the U.S. and what happens here. Yep. Happens. All the time I know I talk to a lot of people who do that just because they save like huge amounts of money doing that exactly. and it's easy enough to get either you know especially if you work for a large corporation you just get your u s arm to do stuff or push comes to shove there are a number of services that'll buy stuff out of the u s for you yeah. uh, without any problem
1: or you know yeah. you have you've got a friend in the u s who you know orders it on his credit card number sure. and then you know ships yeah. the license key via email to you or something <laughs> like that It's easy enough to do.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just a zero number, so yeah. it's not like it's not like it's hard to deliver. Um, so I think one of the
1: arguments is usually, um, you know, for that additional pricing or for the higher pricing, you also get you know local officers and local support. That might be true for certain technologies. Yep. Yeah. But for others, it's clearly not. To be fair, you know, it's some. Some technologies are not really, you know, supported by anyone in a certain local office in whatever country you are, right? It, it, I know, for, for, for instance, there is no one focusing or specializing on cold fusion in the Australia and New Zealand offices. It's not, and I'm not saying that as yeah. a complaint, no, it's but it's true. just fact, right? There is no one doing that. And, you know, if you need support, if you need that type of additional help, you have to go to the U.S. or, you know, through the normal support channel anyway, and, you know, pay for support. So from that point of view, that argument is a bit thin from my point of view. And and you're right. You know, with with people going to the US and buying stuff, I just for, for kicks, I had to look into the pricing for Creative Suite, basically, yeah. for the 5.5. And if I want to buy a new master collection from scratch without having ever owned a license, it's yep. actually cheaper for me to jump into a plane, fly to LA or San Francisco, or even to... Um, to Dallas on Quanas, mm. buy it there, spend a night or two in the U.S., and come back with the box. Take the box through customs and pay GST for it for import, basically. Oh wow! And I'm still better off financially than buying it for the local Australian New Zealand pricing.
0: That's insane.
1: And you know, you get like free food on the plane. You get status credits and freaking flyer miles. <laughs> and you know, if you don't have a home, you get two overnight flights where you don't need to sleep outside. You know, perfect. <laughs>
0: it's, it's good good for homeless people.
1: So it's, you know, and, and, you know, and if that, if it comes to, to that point, basically, that you can easily afford an, a trans specific flight and still be a way, still be better off, yeah. Something is really wrong with the really pricing for my purchase.
0: So basically, you know uh, this is this is the way you should play it. Because basically it makes you, and I think I think we should work out how you get all the benefits you can. So find yourself a credit card that gives you frequent flyer points or some sort of bonus game.
1: Yep.
0: Find a conference in the US that you want to attend. Fly over for the conference, then your trip becomes a work expense, tax deductible. Yep. Stay for a couple of nights. If you can speak at the conference and see if they'll cover some of your expenses too, I think yep. that's a bonus. Do that, then pick up all your Adobe stuff while you're there, then come back with it and I think you'll find that that's going to save you the most amount of money.
1: Yeah, totally. And if you if you want to even, you know, make some money out of it, take a bunch of orders of, you know, friends, colleagues, whatever, basically, <laughs> and bring back like, you know, 10 or however Yeah, you I, could,
0: I mean, look, you could you could put a $100 margin on each of them, you know which I don't think is unreasonable. You know, if you're buying 10 for your friends... Sure, you know you're going to have to get cash up front, but look, then you're making a grand on top of what you're doing, and everyone wins.
1: Yeah, and the the interesting thing with that, I mean, you know, it's obviously not a recommendation of us that you do that <laughs> because there might be some legal inf- implications when you come back with like you know ten master collections. Oh yeah, they might and, have an issue with that. And That's you know, customs, and yeah, yeah, customs might say, well, you know, this is technically a you know large scale import and whatever, basically, you know. So don't yep. try this at home, kids. <laughs> Yeah, but, but that that's what it is. And you know, when I was living in, in in Germany basically and worked in Europe, it was always exactly the same issue. You know, it, it it's a common issue that basically Adobe regional pricing is significantly more expensive than the US dollar pricing. Yeah. And you know, take you know, make for, make out of that whatever you want basically. It's just a fact. And yeah. you know, I personally don't think that is right and appropriate. But you know, there's nothing I can do about it. Obviously,
0: what frustrates me a little, I think, is um, I've know I've talked to some various evangelists about you know how much how much business is brought out of Australia and all that sort of stuff. And I know the statistics that, that come out about you know how many products are bought out of Australia of Cold Fusion, how many products are bought out of Australia in CS Five Point Five or whatever else. But in this sort of structure, you're kind of forcing people into this funnel that pushes yep. them towards buying from the US. So you don't. At the end of the day, Adobe really doesn't know how many people are buying their products from regional areas. When so many people are going to turn around and go, "Well, why would I pay extra money just to give you good statistics?"
1: Yeah, I agree. And the, prob- gonna... the problem with that is um, it's distorting the statistics, obviously, right? Oh, totally. So yeah. um, you know, and that's my personal assumption. I would assume that the regional offices are some sort of evaluated, and you know, they get assigned budget by the, you know, yeah. amount of turnover they produce and the That's amount of products too. they sell, right? Yep. So, you know, if if people complain the the numbers for Confusion are too low to make an investment into the Australian New Zealand market, well, I can totally see why they are too low because I at least know, like, you know, clients of mine who spend lots of money buying the licenses in the US, exactly as you said, because they are not willing to pay the premium and they, you know, they don't have to, basically. Yeah. And, you know... Just adding those the, the, the numbers of servers they license basically to that um, that will probably already make a difference for um, you know for an Australian market yeah so that you know depends. again, there's nothing really we can do about that. it's just what it is, I guess.
0: Yeah, I guess it is. Um, maybe if uh, some regional offices of, of Adobe are listening and there's something they can do about it, I'm sure there'd be a lot of people who can appreciate it. But uh, Yeah, it's, it seems to be a, a problem that's been going on for a very, very long time, and I yeah, haven't was, seen much shift in it. Yeah, there are a lot of complaints.
1: To be, to be fair, um, and this is not only an Adobe pro- problem, right? If you look at companies like Apple or Microsoft, you'll see exactly oh, yeah. the same thing. You know, yeah, maybe, maybe to a varying degree. Basically, you know, it might be that I don't know. Apple is charging thirty percent more than US pricing. Microsoft is charging whatever. You know, seventy percent more. I don't know. Random figures. Yep. But the the general um, effect is that when you're not in the U.S., you pay appropriate, oh, you know inappropriately more than people who are in the U.S.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm off to the U.S. on Wednesday to see if objective.
1: So you're, you're, you're open for orders. So what do <laughs> you want to say?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I want to say I'm open for orders. I might get a whole bunch of emails from people saying, buy me this, buy me this. And so I don't send those to me because I'm not doing it. Um, <laughs> But if there's stuff I want for myself, what could I get?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, realistically, with the current Australian dollar exchange rate, and even it's with our exchange rate, yeah. it's like super worth going to the US and going on a shopping trip, right? Just make yeah. sure that when you come back, you pay your GST on import mark
0: at customs. Yes, of course.
1: Because otherwise, it's not a legal business expense. You know that, right?
0: Actually, I'm trying to think of the last time I bought something overseas <laughs> and it's actually been a long time
1: I'm serious you know like if you bring it back basically you don't yeah. pay the GST and import you technically can't claim it as a business expense
0: yeah, there you go you know more about this stuff than I do sorry you go. <laughs> oh well not, not sorry oh well <laughs> I don't think I've actually bought anything back from a US trip in a number of years that I can think of no I can't anyway that's interesting
1: cool so that was the Adobe releases of this week, basically. Yes. Um, you have some big news about your new lovely toy, right?
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I I I pre-ordered a Samsung Tab 10.1 V from Vodafone, and it showed up the other day, oh. and I can't stop playing it <laughs> with it.
1: So is is your Samsung Tab better than Spiral Knights?
0: <laughs> Ooh. Well, my tab I can play with while I'm waiting for other stuff to happen. Ah. Say, for example, if I'm having a background process or something, and I'm waiting for that, so I can kind of muck around with it, and it sits on my lap. But Spiral Knights is still pretty good. But um, yeah, really, I've been dying to have a tablet for ages. We all know my opinion on Apple, um, so I was very happy to have an Android tablet. And yeah, it's really nice. Um, Honeycomb's beautiful. It's it's a really nice low S. It took a little. I found it took a little while for me to work out. What was where? I found you, didn't, you don't really get instructions, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but fairly intuitive to work out what's what's where and how to get everything set up. But you, um, know,
1: you have an Android phone, right? Yes. So why was it more difficult for you, or why was it difficult for you to find where things are on the tablet?
0: Is so the it- tablet, it's it's a little bit. There's it has a lot of the same. Um, the word I'm looking for, the, the same sort of theories. So you still have the back button, the menu button, mm-hmm. um, that sort of stuff. But they're not physical buttons. They're buttons on the touchscreen and they, they're they symbols. So you don't necessarily know exactly what they are. Okay. So for example, um, the back button's an arrow to the left, the home button's a little home. And then it has this little window to button next to that, which actually is your multitasking button. So it'll show just basic little thumbnails of what you're actually working on. So it's nice that way. And then if you want to access all your apps... There's a button in the top right-hand corner that shows you all your apps that way. Whereas on your phone, obviously, or the one I've got at the very least, you've got sort of this slider up that you use to to access all your apps so that you can get to get to everything that way. Um, so slightly different from your phone. Um, it would have been, I think, it would have been nice if on boot up it was going to be like, this is where this is. You know, hit this button to do this, hit this button to do that. I sort of expected that sort of thing to show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't see it if it didn't exist. Um, and I could see that some of your new users might find that a little bit, a little bit uh, confusing at times. But other than that, look, it's fairly intuitive as well. You know, you, you can add widgets to your screen much like you can on Android or, or programs. You know, it's all pretty normal. The uh, Google Marketplace is very nice; no problem there. I really like the um, the fact that, and they've had this for a while on Android. I can go to the Google, market, I can go to the Android Marketplace on the web, find something I like, hit install, and it'll go and my you know, my Android device will just do that in the background or just install it in the background without mm-hmm. me having to sync it or do anything like that, which is really nice. Um, obviously, the... Uh,
1: but that's something that is not new. I mean, iTunes no. on, on iOS it can do, do that. Yeah, it can do that. Okay. Same thing.
0: I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, absolutely loving it. I uh, I installed the uh, HD version of Fruit Ninja. <laughs> so I thought something to play with. And uh, I introduced my wife to that as well, and I, I had to kind of take my tablet back at some point because she was enjoying that way too much. Mm, um, okay. It may actually be the reason that I need to get her one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I think it, it's definitely interesting because um, it runs the new Android OS 3.0, which is really you know made yeah. for tablets at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and I've played a while ago. I played with a Samsung Galaxy Tab, and that was yes. okay. That was nice, but that itself wouldn't have convinced me to no, buy an understand. Android tablet. To, to be honest, to be honest. Well, yeah, because I mean, I'm, I'm happy with my iPad anyway. Was, so you know.
0: Yeah, that was running the 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 phone version of. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this is this is very different, um, and I think it's interesting too. I mean, obviously, I think you had the same issue that you have on sort of iPhone and iPad, where some apps aren't really built for such a big screen. Yes. So you'll either get them like tiny on your screen and it doesn't really fit or things get laid out really weird depending on how they've set them up.
1: Yeah, um, or on the in the iPad case, basically if you run an iPhone app, it's either centered in the middle of your screen or you can zoom it up that it uses the full screen. But then if it's an iPhone app and not really made for iPad, it basically means it's very pixelated.
0: Yeah, I haven't actually seen... I have to go have look. There was a couple of apps I was looking at that were really squished. Um, most apps seem to expand out, but... Um, yeah there's definitely some issues there, and you'll get some issues where you know it's, it's um you get some crashes and things like that on some some apps just because it's a it's a newer platform and in some apps you know, yeah yeah i mean
1: to be honest that will that will about. disappear over time that's usually exactly. what it is. It's, you know like the the typical early version issues basically and you know people yeah. need to work out how things work and how they have to code their apps or change their apps yeah. to work easily on tablets i mean that's fair enough that's nothing I would be worried about really
0: it's, um um you got your- lovely
1: you got your tap from Vodafone, didn't you? Vodafone Australia? I did, actually. So, how, you know, how much customization is in there from Vodafone?
0: Nothing. Really? Absolutely not a thing. No, nothing. So it's, it's pure stock honeycomb.
1: Okay. So, you can throw in any SIM card you like. You get the official Google upgrades? I believe lock it's rate, or...
0: locked. I believe it's locked to Vodafone. Um, but you can pay an unlocking fee and I'll unlock it for you. Um, I assume you get the official Google Downloads.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, there hasn't been one yet, so I couldn't tell you necessarily. Um, but yeah, it's it's standard stock, which is actually one of the reasons I really I really liked it. I know the, the newer versions of 10.1 that'll be coming out have got some Samsung sort of prettiness over the top, but stock the stock one is really nice. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a really nice little little machine. I can't stop mucking around with it. Actually, battery life's been great. I've, they say seven hours, but I'll. You know, I plug it in at night, turn it on and I barely hit 50% on the battery and I kind of muck around it on a lot during the day. So, cool. Be interesting. So, here's an interesting question for you. In terms of like maybe during your day, how do you tend to use your tablet? It's an interesting question about workflow.
1: It is really interesting. For me, um, the tablet has pretty much become something I carry around with me every time I leave the house. Oh, really? Uh, So, yeah, it's it's really like... um, my replacement for I don't know, doing email when I'm going somewhere yep. which I used to do on my phone before yeah. I'm, I'm just doing that on um, on the tablet and at a large share of how I use my tablet is reading e- ebooks and reading magazines actually okay. So um, and I've got a few games on there but I'm not really using it much for you know traditional work purposes I use it when I do training so I usually put the training material, like the the booklet, the, the course booklet, as a PDF on the iPad, yep. and then um, basically I can show the slides or the IDE on my laptop, and I yep. can you know I don't need a physical training material anymore. I just have the PDF with the workflows and the sample code and everything on my iPad, and have it next to, sitting next to me basically, and that is that is really really useful.
0: Yeah, I was thinking of doing something similar. Normally, when I uh, when I present, I have my speaker notes printed out next to me. I was actually thinking what I'll actually do is I'll just have a PDF on my tablet and I can scroll through it that way. So that is interesting.
1: So you print out your speaking notes because what I yep. usually do is I put them in the notes area of my slides. And then when, you know, when I present, I have the slide or the, the slideshow set up in um, two-screen mode, not in mirroring, that I basically see my notes on my screen while the slide is showing on the big screen, basically.
0: Yeah, see, normally that that would work for me, but I do a lot of live coding when I. Uh, oh yeah, that's fair presenting.
1: enough. Okay, for live coding so is a different, different yeah. story. Yeah.
0: So yeah, so I, I have to keep it in a, in like a mirrored mode, otherwise, yeah, you know, otherwise I'm staring at the screen over my shoulder, and that doesn't yeah. tend to work yeah, very well. Yeah, that's fair
1: enough. Okay, for for those yeah. type of presentations, I give you that. Yeah.
0: So otherwise, yeah, I've, yeah, there's very similar things I could be doing as well.
1: Can you actually hook your tablet to a projector? Because that's what you can I do with the iPad. I think so. And I can use Keynote on the iPad, basically, yeah. to just show my slides from the iPad right away. And that is quite cool.
0: Yeah, so for this version, I think the Zoom has an HDMI out, uh, has a mini HDMI. This one doesn't, unless it's going to get an adapter at some point. for Now, for some stupid reason, they've used a proprietary, you know, okay. uh, a connector thing to a USB port. Why they didn't use micro USB, God only knows, um, which I think was a bit of a silly idea, but... Um, yeah. So as far as I know, you can't do that. But I, yeah, I, I know some people who really like that. I've not really ever come across. a want or a need to be able to do that. But yeah, um, it's
1: you know, I wouldn't say I like it necessarily super, you know, extremely much. But it's a nice option. You
0: know, at least. Yeah. The um the use case I've heard a, a quite a few places is uh, people who travel a lot. Mm-hmm. It's nice to have their they'll have their videos on their iPad or their uh, their tablet, and then they hook that up to the, the hotel television.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs>
0: so they can watch it that way rather than having, you know, the tablets in their lap and, and watching it yeah, that see, way. I
1: mean, that's usually when I go somewhere, I have either my laptop, I mean, like for a few days for a conference or to do some work somewhere, I usually yeah. have one of my laptops and the iPad with me. So if yeah. I wanted to watch a movie at night or so, I would probably, I would, well, realistically, I watch it um, on my laptop or, you know, a TV show or something like that, um, I'd don't watch it on the ipad that much what i did was um why not i don't know it's just you know it's just not how i use it for whatever reason you know i've because i can i don't know i can't give you a particular reason it's just not how i use it really i used it on flights a few times because yeah. on flights it's just more convenient to you know watch something on the ipad or even on the iphone than having to unfold your laptop and blah, Yeah,
0: that's sort of what I was thinking. That's where I was basically on, on my flight over to the U.S. I was thinking I'll, I'll set up any things I want to watch. I'll do it on my tablet so that it, I can just grab my tablet and pop it out.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I've got a prepaid data card in my, um, in my iPad. And I think initially I charged it with $80 or $100 or something like that when I got it. And that was probably about eight or nine months ago. And yeah. because of how I use it, you know, at home, I've got Wi-Fi anyway. So I don't need 3G data, really. Yeah, exactly. And when I'm somewhere, I'm just usually just doing my emails or, you know, maybe checking Twitter or something like that. Yep. And besides that, I use it pretty much as a reader for books and magazines. I haven't even spent all that data from that initial, initial top-up of $100. You know, I still have like $50 left or something like that after nine months Because yeah. I hardly use 3G data on it at all.
0: Yeah, I think that, that was something that was interesting. I mean, to, to to buy this outright from Vodafone was 729 I think, something mm-hmm. along those sort of lines, um, which gave you six gigabyte of 3G data that expired over three months. Okay. Or I could buy it for what ended up being paid off over a 12-month period with an initial payment of about 250 Excuse me, and I think overall payments ended up being seven twenty eight so it was like slightly cheaper, and I'd get one point five gig of data per month okay I'm like, well, I barely use a gig of data on my phone, and I barely go anywhere near it um, sure, that sounds great so I pay a little bit less, and I have data for twelve months so yep. wait done that's yep. very very simple um, so yeah, I thought that was a bit interesting, but uh, yeah, so the pricing actually I thought was pretty pretty decent considering it included that that. uh, data plan yeah i agree
1: that doesn't sound too bad really and again you know it's like australia has some sort of higher subsidies for phones or mobile devices by the network providers than we have i think that that's pretty much inconceivable here you know to get such a good deal
0: so is good
1: yep cool so we're pretty much done aren't we
0: I think so, unless we want to talk... uh, We've got some jobs and events as well.
1: Yeah, we've got jobs and two events, and we should obviously also advertise our Spiral Knights order again, our guild.
0: (laughs) Of course, I think that's definitely a given.
1: So should we start with the jobs? I think there are are two. Um, So the first one I know about um, is basically a job at a client of mine. They um, are basically at the Gold Coast. And yep. they are looking for an intermediate call-fusion developer. Um, like something like, I don't know, two to four years of experience. Um, I mean, there are a few minimum requirements we really have. We want to have someone who has worked with CFCs before and has at least basic concepts of how to code in an OO style. Yep. Um, SQL Server experience would be really helpful because that's the only database we use. So, you know, you should know a few things about that. JavaScript knowledge. If it's jQuery and if you've done a bit more on that, that would be cool. And um, I'd li- really like to get someone who has worked with a framework before, whatever that framework is. I don't really care. Um, you know, if it's by any chance Fusebox, and if you have also you know distributed version control experience with Git or Mercurial, that would be even better. Um, yeah, what else can I say? It's really a cool team. Um, It's a very, very interesting industry um, they work in. Very competitive and very innovation-driven. And you get, like, you know, Gold Coast weather, depending if you like that, you know, warm sun, beaches. Mm. They play sports around lunchtime, usually. Um, Yeah, you know, lots of chances to grow into other roles or, you know, more important and more senior roles within the company. You get internationally recognized cofusion Mentoring by myself, um, you know, like it or don't like it. Maybe that's a, rather a turn off for some people. I don't know, whatever. But, you know, it's really a cool team and I enjoy doing work with them and I would just, you know, I'm just doing this to help them find someone cool to fit into that team. That sounds good. So if you are interested, um, just get in touch with me, you know, via Twitter, Agent K., or send me an email to kai at
0: ventigo-creative.co.nz. Wonderful. Cool. And the other
1: job is from our friends at Daemon, isn't it?
0: At Damon, our, our good friend uh, Jeff Bowers, who was on the podcast a little while ago, they're, uh, they're looking for a new web developer. This is in Sydney, Australia. If you're looking for more details, go to daemon, D-A-E-M-O-N.com.au. I'll post a link on the on the notes. Uh, they, yeah, they're looking for a new web developer. Um, I'm sure if you're uh, working at Daemon, you're going to work with some fantastic people doing some very interesting stuff. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. Doing all sorts of fun stuff with Adobe technology. I'm just reading through it now. Primarily in Cold Fusion, with especially other technologies, usual database stuff. Um, they do a bunch of different platforms, uh, operating systems, including Winterk, OS X and Linux. Uh, they tend to do a lot of project-based stuff but uh, looks like they've got some uh, interesting work going on so if you have any interest in that, check them out at daemon.com.au uh, also fire off a CV a couple letter to jobs at daemon.com.au so hopefully they find somebody good to fill that role
1: yep that would be cool and then we have two events um, one is a, revent- a event across the region so Adobe um, is doing a CS 5.5 roadshow that yep. happens from late mid to late May until early June across Australia and New Zealand. So they do Sydney and Melbourne with um, a team of international evangelists coming down. Um, Greg Ruiz, Paul Trani, Terry White, and a few other people. And, but they also come to, um, to the smaller cities like um, Adelaide, Perth, Auckland, Wellington, and I'm pretty sure they come to Brisbane as well, but I wouldn't swear on that because I haven't Really had a look at the list of dates recently, so we'll post that link um, to the to the roadshow page and to the registration page for the roadshow on the podcast blog post, I guess, that people can find it. The other thing on the May the twenty fourth, that's actually the day um, on which Adobe is doing the CS five point five roadshow in Wellington. Yep. Um, the two local user groups The Flash Platform user group And the Creative Suite user group Have some sort of a Bit of a launch event For CS 5.5 And we've got Mike McHugh Who's one of the um, Regional Adobe guys um, In Based in Melbourne To come to this Event after work Basically it starts about 5.30 And um, he's going to show A few more cool things That they don't show In the public Official roadshow and we will obviously have drinks and nibbles and maybe some food and, you know, a nice chance to network. So I'll also post the link to the registration for this thing on um, the blog post.
0: Fair enough. I'll also, uh, I, there's no event specifically coming up, but I just want to plug the uh, Melbourne Adobe Developers Group. Um, basically, recently the uh, Fusion and Flex user groups uh, combined into one user group, uh, where we tend to get together every, I think it's every third Thursday still, um, to uh, talk about Cold Fusion, talk about Flex, talk about programming and other technology things. And we normally have a pretty good time, have some pizza, eat some food. Uh, if anyone wants more details on that, it's at mad.groups.adobe.com for Melbourne Adobe Developers.
1: Yeah, and I think we should, you know, maybe mention that again. If you run a user group and some or well, some other community. That is involved with Adobe technologies, and yep. you're doing in Australia and New Zealand mainly, basically. And you're doing um, holding an event or you know a user group meeting or a, a camp or whatever. Let us know. We are totally happy to you know yep. mention it, um, plug your event, and help you to get a few attendees or yep. a few more attendees to come.
0: Yep. Um, yeah. Probably the easiest way of doing that is just ping us on Twitter. Either ping the the, the uh, DDU podcast or either Kai or myself. Um, all the links are up on the website, so you can grab those details and either send us, you know, point us to a URL or just shoot us that. And we can always fire through an email or whatnot. Very very simple, and uh, yeah, we'll make sure we plug it on the show.
1: Yep, that sounds really good. So um, you're going to the US next week, right? So there won't be any indeed. any show next week. Nope. Um, but for the week after, we've got an interesting guest speaker again.
0: Oh, really? Who is our guest speaker?
1: That guest speaker is a lady from Kansas City with the name D. Settler.
0: I know, D. You wonderful. do.
1: Awesome. So, D. Settler is um, basically coming to join us for an hour to talk about um, two things mainly. One is design and developer workflow, and the other yep. one is um, designing and developing for mobiles. Oh, wonderful. And, and, you know, along the way, she's probably going to pluck her conference um, Uh, d2wc which is going to happen in kansas in july where i'm actually going to attend and speak as well very cool yep so you know you can look forward to number eight basically and um like i said we have a guest speaker again that'd be great awesome so we're done for today thanks a lot for listening in and joining us you know at this time of the day or whatever the time of the day is for you actually, <laughs> when you're listening to that
0: it's, it's a it's a podcast they do do it on demand
1: <sighs> gosh i always forget that we should it's become we should, we should really you know become a, a radio station because we record live anyway there's no going back and editing stuff anyway
0: <laughs> that is true um I think uh Vicky tends to bug me on a regular basis to uh for us to do our show live on Codebase Radio. Um actually if anyone's if anyone's I'll plug this just because we because I can if anyone's a, uh interested in in streaming radio there's a particular uh, radio show called codebaseradio.net. Uh if you go there there's a uh, they they call it Code for Geeks. Music and Geek Combines. Um, they didn't they put on a, a bunch of shows by uh, a bunch of people. Um, and we actually got featured on there recently. I should actually plug that. They're uh, on the yeah, one of the days. I'm trying to look at the uh, which day it's going to be. Our uh, our sixth podcast is going to be streamed live over that. Um, and they do a lot of fun stuff with music. And they do shout outs to all the people that, that they respond to on Twitter. Um, so yeah, they have They have some fun shows on there and they play a lot of music and and have a good time. One other thing I'll probably pimp out as well, just to help those guys out as well, there's there's an application that uh, some of the guys from there and some other people wrote called Media Slurp. Uh, It's a great little air app that basically combines pretty much any audio content you could think of or some audio and video content you could think of for the Adobe Stack uh, into one little air app. So you can go on there and say, okay, I'm going to grab listen to Codebase for a little while. There's some uh, other, just looking through the pictures, there's some other streaming radio stations. I think uh, Monkey Radio is also on there. And then if you kinda can go on demand as well and look at different podcasts and video podcasts that are available, including our own, uh, CF Hour, uh, some videos from, from Adobe as well. So you can really kind of, you know, consolidate all your stuff in one place. So, yeah, if you're interested in that, mediaslip.com, it's an air app. Uh, it's really quite a nice little app. Which I, you know, I've used it on occasion to listen to podcasts and and other fun stuff as well. So I'll give them a pimp considering they've been uh, they've been pushing our stuff out as well and definitely some fun stuff to have a look at.
1: Yeah, totally agree. Cool. All righty. Cool. So that's it for today.
0: Well, thank you very much for joining me again today, Kai.
1: You're welcome, Mark. And you know. Uh, congratulations, go back to you. Thanks a lot for spending some time with me, basically. Uh, cool. Okay. So we're done. Um, All right. Uh, we'll talk to you again in about two weeks or so. See you then. See you then. Bye.